Lifelong learnings means we will teach you enough to do this. And then when that becomes obsolete, we will teach you some more so you can get another government license or another government certificate to be able to do some other job. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Fearless with Mark and Amber, the intersection of faith, family, and filmmaking. This is a husband and wife podcast where we invite you to come alongside us and join the journey and mission of making documentary films about the issues eroding our society and taking a stand for biblical values. I'm your co-host, Amber Archer, and with me as usual is my husband. The husband is here. Mark Archer. (laughs) So today we are picking back up part three with our sit-down interview with former superintendent of public instruction of Arizona, Diane Douglas. Part three of a four-part series with Diane Douglas. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't listened to the first two parts from last week, you should go back and listen to those. She has a unique perspective on this whole issue of the education system in general. Mm -hmm. She covered a lot of ground in our first two parts. She's going to cover a lot of ground here today and again on Thursday. Um, Right. So you can search those archives at Mm fearlessfeatures.org. Mm-hmm. I love what we do because we get to interact with so many people with so many varied backgrounds Mm -hmm. and varied backgrounds give different perspectives on things. And when you're trying to make a documentary film, you want a lot of perspectives on things. What you find is as you start to talk to enough people about a particular subject that there's a consensus Mm -hmm. A lot of times to, yes, this is right, this is wrong, this is what should be done. And what we found with the mind polluters is that um, a lot there's a lot of themes that keep coming up and a lot of names that keep coming up. Mm -hmm. You'll hear her talk today about John Dewey. Mm -hmm. And we talked a lot about John Dewey in our multi-part interview with uh, Alex Alex Newman. And John Dewey was the one who... Uh, put a lot of this in place. For the education system, what we're talking about. If you're just joining us, we are working on our new documentary film titled The Mind Polluters. And Mark, you want to fill people in on what it's about? And we interviewed Diane Mm -hmm. for The Mind Polluters. Yep. So what you're listening to with Diane is uh, portions of our on-camera interview with Mm -hmm. her. And so we want to share these things with you as we go. We don't feel like it does anybody any good if we hold on to this stuff. Um because when when the film is done, a lot of this stuff doesn't make the final cut because mm-hmm. you're taking, you know, all of these interviews and you, you can't possibly include everything that everybody says. And I've always looked at that as a real waste. Mm-hmm. And so The Mind Polluters really is about the sexualization of our culture and our children through the education system. And we started off thinking it was going to be just about this thing called comprehensive sexuality education and social emotional learning. And what we found is that the roots of this go very deep and all over the place, they intersect with a lot of other issues. And so we have just talked to all kinds of people and Mm -hmm. we're still talking to all kinds of people collecting interviews and what's really the, the first major phase of filming of a documentary film like this. Right, because people need to be informed. I can't tell you how many times 
you know, there was, it's interesting. Somebody sent me a video from a woman on Facebook who has a sixth grade daughter mm-hmm. and she came home and this mom is in tears. I mean, just so distraught that her sixth grader was taught about anal and oral sex in class. Sixth grade. Sixth grade. You guys were talking about what, 12 year olds? And let me just point out that these things that are now being deceptively placed into the curriculums of our elementary schools, these are things that to our generation, you learned about by sneaking a look at pornographic materials. Right. Right. And it, mm-hmm. and it was it shocked you and disgusted you. And now it's normalized, normalized part of the curriculum. Oh, it's it's awful, you guys. If there's anything that I that I just can't get, I, I can't step off of this soapbox. It's whether you have kids in the public education system or not, even if you have kids in private school. Because mm-hmm. it's happening there, too. It's happening there, too. It's it's starting to seep in under the mm-hmm. under the door. And we just have to be have to be vigilant as parents. Question everything. You, you, you well, a lot of times I say I don't want to be that parent. Guess what? You have to be. <laughs> I'm that parent. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're both those parents. You have got to say something. You have to ask questions. I guarantee you, if there's nothing, if they're not hiding anything, then it won't be an issue. Mm-hmm. If you're met with immediate resistance and attitude from the school or the teacher or the administration. There's a problem. There's a problem there. Yeah. Who's, whose children are these? They're mm-hmm. not the schools. They're not theirs to experiment on, do what they want to. Well, and, and you use the word experiment. And that's one of the notes that I, I had written down, because when as Diane's talking today, when, when you're listening to her, it's like all you can hear is our kids are nothing more than like one big government experiment. Mm-hmm. Like, how can we shift them over here in this direction and shift them here so that they comply and they're just workers? Yeah, I mean, that's and that's the John Dewey when she talks about, you know, go back and listen to Alex Newman and, you know, Diane will speak more about John Dewey. But but you had mentioned something earlier about the common themes and I hadn't thought about it until you just said it. But how many how many different common themes? Because I have like two big ones off the top of my mind that I can think of. What kind of common themes have you found as we go through and sit down with all these people? Well, common themes that I've noticed from behind the camera is that everyone that we're talking to, they're all people who listen very carefully and question everything. Um, they're, they're people from all different kinds of backgrounds and they're just, they're, they're people that they listen to what people are saying and they look around and say, did anybody else <laughs> hear what was just said. <laughs> yeah. Diane said in in one of the other parts of her interview, she said, you know, the left will always tell you exactly what they're going to do right. and exactly how they're going to do it. And then when they actually do it, we're somehow shocked. Right. Why is that? It's not because they're deceiving. I mean, they are deceptive, mm-hmm. but it's not, it's not all their fault. It's because... We on the on the in the conservative the Christian world, 
we're not paying attention. Mm-hmm. We It's like we don't believe them when they say it's like if you go back to pre 9-11, Osama bin Laden said for years what he was going to do mm-hmm. that that there were gonna there was gonna be blood in the streets and then it happened mm-hmm. and we're as a whole nation shocked going around going how did this happen mm-hmm. well it happened because he told you it was going to happen you ignored it and then he did it mm-hmm. why are you shocked yeah you know and and it's interesting because i think how distracted is everyone these days oh completely We're, how how distracted are we with social media and the news cycle yeah. and you know it's it's terrifying we're talking about future generations. Mm-hmm. Well, we we talk about this with our with our girls all the time, just preparing them for the world that is here and that is being thrust upon them about situational awareness and mm-hmm. just and and why we why we got off of social media and we will not let them get on social media or have phones, right? Because. I don't want them walking around like zombies staring at the screen the unaware. whole time. Unaware. You've got to be aware. I don't even take my phone or headphones to the gym anymore because I look around and there's not a person in there who's paying attention to anything mm-hmm. other than themselves and what whatever. And the, half of them are looking at their phone and the other half are, you know, just off in their own little world with their their podcast or their music. That's just dangerous. You can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And you have to you have to listen to what people are saying and question what they mean by it. Diane, like she said in the intro, what does lifelong learner mean? Yeah, that was we, fascinating. We hear this all the time. Lifelong learner sounds good. Mm-hmm. Sure, I want to I just want to keep learning things and keep learning things, but that's not what they really mean. Mm-hmm. What they really mean is we're going to teach you this. And then when we when we legislate you out of work, then you have to come back and we'll teach you some other new new uh, skill that so that you can do a basic menial job. We don't want you to think for yourself. You know what the first thing I thought of is when when she said that was the um, Keystone Pipeline and, yes. the, and the the Green New Deal and <sighs> and the jobs. You know, we're going to retrain you for yeah. these these efficient jobs. That was the first thing I thought oh, of. Remember <laughs> remember Cuomo during the lockdowns? No. And he he got real snippy with these uh, at one of these press conferences, and he's yelling at people saying saying I don't basically I don't want to hear you complain about not being able to find a job. Go get a job as an essential worker. Try that. And I'm thinking, excuse me, you don't tell somebody who's made a living as a welder that they could go get a job as a nurse now. Yeah, I mean, this is how. Disconnected. How disconnected. Mm -hmm. Who are you? Why don't you go get a new job? Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, with that, let's get into part three with Diane Douglas, former superintendent of public instruction of Arizona. What did you mean by cooking the books? Well, when I said, when I was sitting in that PTSA, PTSA meeting when my daughter was in second grade and they talked about the I don't know what it was, 70, 75%, 80% of the kids getting Bs or higher. Well, that's not going to happen. I mean, grades generally tend to happen on a bell curve. Educators hate the bell curve, but it works in so many things in life. So you're going to have something. And this kind of goes back to my first epiphany moment with the 
the friend's daughter who wasn't going to be promoted to the next grade, even though she got B's and C's because they will make the kids go through the test or the assignment or whatever it is again and again and again till they can, maybe it's almost, it's not memorization like how you learn math facts, but they can get through the test, but they haven't really learned the material. You know, they know the answer because they've taken the same test 10 times, whatever the number is, 10 times, and they know it's the first question, it's always two plus two equals four, and it's gonna be two plus two equals four, but then if it needs to be three plus three, they don't know what it is because they only know that particular one. So there has been grade inflation going on for decades so that kids can just get through. We had the Ames test here in Arizona and it was a graduation requirement. So they had so many tries at it. And actually my daughter's, I don't remember if it's her class, I think it was the class after hers that it was going to truly be a graduation requirement. So all these classes coming up to it, it was really just a test to see how they would do. Well, even though these kids are getting A's and B's on their report card, our legislature suddenly realized that, holy moly, over 30% of our senior class is failing this graduation test on what they had been supposedly taught all through high school, all through their K-12 education. And they disbanded the test. They took it away. No, actually, they didn't take it away as a graduation requirement. I, I stand corrected. They allowed the test grade to be augmented so that if you didn't quite get a passing grade on it, you could maybe do an extra assignment or they had, uh, the district actually had to come up with a scheme, a rubric of things that they could do to augment their grade to get a high enough grade on the Ames test in order to graduate. I mean, those are the kind of games that are playing and what good does it do a child when they come through this and they have nothing on the far end of it, that's a, never mind a marketable skill, a life skill to understand what our country is about, what our world is about, what our government, I mean, there's nothing that they don't need to understand and be able to assess from whether this is a reasonable or logical, you know, an evaluation of something or if it's just what somebody's told me. And they've been doing it with grades for decades. So, That's why I stopped trusting grades when my daughter was in second grade. Mm -hmm. <laughs> is the standardized testing all about? Is it needed? Is it more of a hindrance? What, what do parents need to know about the standardized testing? Uh, you know, we had standardized testing because we had to have standardized testing. It's actually a me uh, mandate from the federal government that every child, actually not every child, 95% of a student body has to be tested annually. They can either test a child's progress along the way and that's what I supported when I was superintendent to try to get more of that. And districts really need to bring that in on their own kind of a benchmark testing. But what that allows the teacher to do is look, 
where are their deficits along the way? So maybe you're really good at your multiplication tables, or maybe you're good at your multiplication tables from zero to three, but you're very weak after that and you should have learned them. And then they can help support the child along the way. That to me is what parents want to be looking for. Our standardized test here in Arizona, it's um, AZ Merit 2, AM2 now, and that's really an end of the, the course um, type of test. It, did you learn everything you learned? But the problem with that is, well, there's a lot of problems with that. Number one, it's mandated by the federal government. That's my biggest problem with it. But it comes at the end. The kids don't get their test results back. They're, as a matter of fact, we're going into AZ merit testing right now. So we're still six weeks from the end of school. So basically instruction has stopped because they teach up to where you take the test. And then after the test is over, well, maybe we keep going, maybe we don't. I don't mean to be cynical, but it doesn't become quite as academically focused to what degree the standards are academic. And so then you've lost about six weeks of instructional time that you could have used for the students, but they don't get their test results back until over the summer. I think the schools get them back before the end of the school year, but then the parents don't see them. So if there's deficits, there's nothing you can do about it. And if it's not reflected in the grades and the child's just moved along, then they never get the support they need. And if the foundation crumbles, everything crumbles. So I have never been a fan of the standardized testing we do, but it came along with, um, actually I blame the conservative side more than I blame the liberal side, because for so many years, because of the weakness of our teacher training and just this self-esteem based education and everybody has to do well and pass, you know, we literally, we've seen the stories and we've all seen them you know, kids graduating high school, wherever it is they graduate, you know, inner city, you know, some very good schools, and they can't read, they can't read their diploma, they can't write a, a, a literate comprehensive sentence, they can't do basic arithmetic, but yet they've got a high school diploma in their hands. So I think those of us on the quote unquote conservative side got sick and tired of it and Darn it, we have to do something to make sure these kids have the skills they need before we give them a diploma. That's how our AZ merit, our um, AIMS test, the pre-Common um, pre Core test came to be because we have to give them a test at the end of their high school year to make sure before we give them a diploma, they know what they know. Well, I got news for you folks, it's way too late yeah. by then to make sure that they do. So the push, came, I think, more from the right, that we need to have uh, checks and balances in place, if you will. We need to have something to make sure children have learned, students, young adults have learned what they need to learn before we move them on. And then it has gone on steroids. And then, I mean, when I was in school, and that was a long time ago, we didn't have standards. There were textbooks and your school board bought a good textbook and it taught you the things in it you were supposed to learn in third grade. And, you know, that's what a teacher taught from. But now we have standards and standards are very high level. They're, they are the what is supposed to be taught. 
Then here in Arizona, the how is it taught goes down to our school board. So they're the ones that pick the textbooks, they pick the supplemental materials, they pick all the things that go along with that. And there's a million different answers on how a standard can be taught. You know, and, and one of the things that was um, funny, haha, not to me, when I, I guess when I was campaigning for superintendent, I talked a lot about Common Core and why I didn't think it was the best direction for Arizona to go. Although by the time I ran, it was already embedded. Um, but I, I would tell people all over the state, you know, the problems that we have with our children in reading in Arizona is because our districts aren't teaching reading properly, which is beyond me. I would literally say this to people because phonics is the law of the land for teaching reading in Arizona. Oh, no, no, no. After I got in office, I re for some reason I was looking at that statue and I'd read it before where it said, you know, should be reading based. Well, at some point it got changed to research based reading instruction. And research-based reading instruction can very much, they, they, there are whole language gurus, and we had two of them that ran the colleges of education here in Arizona, one at ASU and one at U of A, who were the top whole language gurus recognized in the nation. And so our teachers were never trained. In the school district my daughter went through, when they hired a teacher that came out of ASU or U of A, they had to reteach them, put them through training to teach phonics reading instruction. So they will come up with a, a justification. Oh yes, this is research-based, absolutely. You know, but it's not, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Trust me, as someone who was taught with Dick and Jane, look, say, reading instruction, it does not work. And when kids can't read, they can't learn anything. But teach them to read, and they can learn anything they want to, and they don't need schools and teachers anymore. Well, that's a novel idea. You know? <laughs> and I think that's what parents need to realize, especially those parents who might be inclined to think about homeschooling. Mm -hmm. If your child has that foundation, and if they don't have that foundation, read with your child. Make sure your child knows how to decode those words and sound them out. Because it's, you know, it's amazing that how, how opposed those who are teachers, and again, I'm painting broad brush and I recognize that, but how opposed they are to the things that really work to teach children what they need to know. It, all, it never ceases to amaze me. They hate practicing addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division, especially, you know, with flashcards and things like that. Oh, that's boring. They have a name for it. They call it drill and kill. And you don't want to do that with your children. So, and it just doesn't work. It's not effective. But the same teacher that thinks that doesn't work, and if you step back and think about it for a moment, you know, zero through nine, zero through nine, addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, that's 100 times four. That's basically 400 problems to memorize into your long-term memory so you can recall it instantaneously. The same teacher who thinks that's too much to expect a child to do somehow expects the same child to memorize by sight the two or 3,000 words in their kindergarten or first grade vocabulary, and that's underestimating. Their vocabularies are actually much higher at that age. And so there's no logic to the system we're using to teach our children. 
When did it go awry? John Dewey. John Dewey and, um, you know, if you look back in the history of it, if you look back, um, Dick and Jane, and it amazes me how many people, and no disrespect to them, who did actually learn with Dick and Jane and miraculously still learn to read think it's because of Dick, the Dick and Jane series, and it's not. That's a horrible instruction method. I mean, Dr. Seuss, he himself would talk about how he was given some 200 rhyming words, and you just keep repeating those words so the kids see them again and again and again. Well, that's great when they see, I don't know, I can't think of anything, you know, Sam I Am, when you see Sam I Am again, but then you see Sam I Am, are you gonna eat the sandwich? And you've never seen eat or sandwich before. And you, the kids sit there and they have no idea what to do. Maybe it doesn't matter so much now in this day of, um, not so much eat audio books, terrify me? Are we going to stop teaching kids to read? I mean, we stopped teaching children to write and to spell properly because, oh, there's spell checkers. They're going to do things on their computer and spell checker will just fix it. Are we going to get a, to a point where we're going to say we don't need to teach our children to read anymore because there's just audiobooks or there's pictures on the road signs so they don't need to know what the words are? That is taking away from not just our children, but it's taking away from future generations what human beings have fought and died for for thousands of years. What does that do to a child who hasn't been able to read? I, I mean, I'm trying to imagine the life that they're going to have not being able to read and relying on the computers to you know, do the, do the spell check. It, what kind of jobs are these kids gonna have? They can't read, they can't do math, they can't, I mean, we see it all the time. You, even today, teenagers, they can't count money. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm appalled every time, and I, you know, we've had kids get out their phones, their smartphones. Like, what, what, you can't add? Like, no, I can't. I need 50 cents back. What are you, what are you doing? Do it, be able to do it in your yes. brain. And they can't. So what, is that, what does that do to a child who can't read, who can't well, do math? Well, we're always going to have some who will be taught, whether it's that their parents homeschool them or they go to private school or what, or they're the, um, the, the children of the elitists, you know, the, the rich among us who want to rule us anyway, they'll make sure their children are educated enough to rule us. It's the rank and file of us. They, um, they will make sure the kids are job trained enough to do what needs to be done. And many of that, much of that is not writing. The intellectuals write, you know, and, and the higher ups do the, you know, the higher level math, but we'll make sure you know just enough math to set, the, set it to the right number when your car's getting fixed or whatever the crazy thing might be. You know, they have a, a phrase in education. They talk about making students lifelong learners. And I always used to think, yeah, 
That's a wonderful thing. Let's make our children lifelong learners because I always thought what that meant was instilling such a, being able to instill such a love of learning in a child that they will always want to go on and they'll always want to learn more and ask more questions and questions. That's not what lifelong learning means in America these days. Lifelong learnings means we will teach you enough to do this. And then when that becomes obsolete or that industry is no longer prosperous, you come back to us. We will teach you some more so you can get another government license or another government certificate to be able to do some other job. That's what lifelong learning is in my cynical definition. And I admit it, it is, but that's what I've seen. What do we hear all the time? Come back to school, get this extra degree, get that extra degree, do this, do that. That's just, and not that I uh, think little of wanting to earn an income. I mean, I believe in a capitalist society, but education is so much more than just earning enough to pay the bills. That's not what God created human beings to do. Well, that is all the time we have for today, friends. Thank you so much for sticking around to the end. If you would like to help support this mission and this film, The Mind Pluters, please go and visit the website at fearlessfeatures.org. And we thank you again for listening. We will talk to you again on Thursday. Have a wonderfully blessed day. 